Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah and chapter 9? And we're going to read again that glorious passage that we read last week and deal with it further this morning. I'll read the whole chapter. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, it's a relatively new phenomenon uh, in modern life um, to have uh, readily at hand. Uh, professional counsellors. Professional counselling has experienced uh, an explosion in uh, recent decades. Um, now, people have always needed counsellors. Um, people have always, to some extent, had counsellors, either either from the church, priests, things, these sorts of people, or from uh, important people within society, uh, and these have played an important role. But what is really new is the number of individuals these days trained and able with the ability to give professional counselling. This is a a relatively new phenomenon in this country and in the West. So just to give you uh, a statistic that might blow your mind. So in 1974, the Association of New Zealand Counsellors was established. They had 42 counsellors. Uh, Today, the Association of New Zealand Counselors has 3,500 counselors. That's that's an 8,000% increase, I think. Uh, The population of New Zealand has not quite doubled since then. So we were at 3 million, now we're at about 5, just over. uh, And yet the number of counselors has gone from 42 to 3,500. And that's not including... Psychologists, which have also experienced the same sort of increase. Social workers, even more of an increase, and so on it goes. And we are still in desperate need 
of councillors. The, there is a call from uh, the government uh, to uh, people from overseas to come who are trained councillors to be councillors in this nation. They've been put on the, uh, I think it's called the green list, which I think basically means if you've got a training in this regard, you'd be favoured for immigration to New Zealand. Uh, there was also a, a news article that I saw, um, I googled it this week, but it's from August, which says this, a critical shortage of qualified councillors has prompted the government to expand the pool of those eligible to fulfil the position in its councillors in schools programme. So councillors in schools are in shortage and so it's expanded the pool of those eligible to fulfil those roles. It now includes uh, equine therapy facilitators. Do you know what that is? I had to Google it. It is, you take kids and people who are in this therapy to uh, be around horses and to care for the horses, pat the horses, maybe ride the horses, I'm not sure, but equine therapy. Um, it also includes uh, master carvers, uh, youth workers, creative art therapists, and music therapists. Okay, therapy with these things. Now these are good. I'm not suggesting that these are bad. I'm not suggesting that going and being around animals and horses or music or whatever it might be is not therapeutic in a very real sense. And I'm not suggesting that uh, there isn't a, a need, a desperate need, in fact, for young people especially to be counselled, to be cared for, to sit with somebody older and wiser who is able to work through their problems, work through their stresses and strains, their depression, their anxiety, whatever mental strain they might have, and help them through it. It is an important thing to do. I would also suggest that this increase in the number of counsellors is not because we are more crazy than we used to be. I don't think that's the I think we've always been crazy, in other words. I think we've always had massive issues, mental illness and so on, and that that issue was met in various different ways, and these days it's being met uh, by professional counsellors in large measure. But I do think that this increase in professional counsellors and therapies and so on does indicate that people more and more are finding it difficult to find a person to confide in and a person to talk through these issues with. They are finding it more and more difficult to find such. There is a counsellor that people used to rely on a great deal more than they do today. A wonderful counsellor. Who tells us to cast all of our anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Who tells us to come to him who are weary and heavy laden. That we may take his yoke upon us. That we may follow him that we may learn from him, that he may give us rest for our souls. A wonderful counsellor, Jesus Christ. This is the person I want to tell you about this morning. You know, in our text that we've just read, there is this, this prophecy of a child that would be born, Isaiah 9 and from verse 6 especially. We dealt with the rest of the chapter, or rather the first half of it last week, and we came to these four titles 
Uh, for to us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what uh, I said last week we would do is, after sort of introducing those four titles to you, I thought we would spend the next maybe couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks, just looking at those names and looking at their meaning and how they uh, describe to us the person of Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy 700 years before Christ's birth describing to us and to the people who he will be. Bearing in mind that names were far more than just sounds to identify a person. Now that's what they basically are. Ian, you've got Rob, you've got Ian, you've got Joe. You know, and these names probably have meanings, but who could care less what they actually mean? Right? They're just that's who they are. Names in the Bible worked differently. Names in the Bible didn't just identify, but they described. They described who the person is and what they would do. And so we have here a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince. Of peace. And this is how we are to understand Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So, what I want to do today is look just at Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor and its meaning and application to us. Now, as we did before, um, we looked a little bit at the context. And I don't want to rehash all of that again before, uh, to you, but I do just want to point out a couple of things. Um, the, when you're looking at a book like Isaiah, it, it can be a little bit worrying uh, when you sense the distance between them and us. When you, when you sense, this is, this is now 2,700 years ago that this was written and that this was the uh, prophetic message given. That's a long time uh, by any standard. And it is tempting to think, well, uh, this society then must be so different from ours, it would be hard to relate to. And certainly it is different, different culturally, different in terms of technology and so on. But also, uh, I am struck actually by how similar the problems and the issues are at that time as uh, compared to today. So for example, uh, this is a society 2,700 years ago that once was very strong in faith, once was very strong in religion and and faith in God, um, and has strayed from that. And as a result of that straying, they have brought a loss of unity. They brought great confusion with regards to their worldview and a great deal of immorality. And that is despite the fact that they are um, materially relatively prosperous as a nation. Let me just read a verse to you from chapter 2. And verse 7 and verse 8. The land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. Now that sounds like New Zealand, (laughs) doesn't it? That sounds like America. That sounds like any modern Western nation, does it not? So you have this um, similarity between their context and our context. Let me just mention a few other things that would connect them to our context. There is at this time uh, a great uh, issue with substance abuse and alcoholism. Is this something that maybe rings true for us? Uh, Chapter uh, 
Chapter 5 and verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Right? They have the lyre and the harp, tambourine and the flute, and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Uh, Sexual immorality and immodesty. Uh, Isaiah 3 and verse 16. Uh, The Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, uh, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. There is great uh, superstition and idolatry and confusion. If we go to chapter 2 and verse 6. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Uh, One more, um, just to drive it all home. There's also uh, rather a significant crisis in leadership that's going on. Crisis in leadership, chapter 3 and verse 6. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you should be our leader. And this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. In other words, if you uh, are simply uh, you know, blessed enough to possess simply a cloak, that qualifies you to be in charge. And you can be in charge of what? Uh, this uh, heap of ruins. This is, a, this is a, a dark time, a time of crisis, a time of confusion. This is basically New Zealand. Okay? This is basically a bunch of people who need a counsellor. Amen? This is a bunch of people who uh, are in darkness. And we come to chapter 9. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. A child is born, a wonderful, wonderful counsellor. That's who Jesus is. That's how Isaiah presents Jesus to us, and that's the context in which he is presented and the need that is in the background that he uh, is to be the light going into. He is the one who takes away the darkness. Do you, do you need that? Do you relate personally to any of these troubles and difficulties? Do you need a counsellor? Do you need a wonderful counsellor? Have you tried counselling and it didn't work? Do you need a better counsellor? Maybe you'll try a better one. Maybe they won't work. Do you need the best counsellor? Do you need a wonderful counsellor? Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. That's who he is. You know, in uh, Matthew 11 and chapter 20... uh, Sorry, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, where he speaks of uh, us taking his yoke upon uh, us, uh, that he is gentle and lowly of heart. Come to him, whoever is weary. And what are we to do? We are to learn from him. And in the learning from him, we will find rest for our souls. We are to hear his counsel. We are to rely on his counsel. And in so doing, find rest for our souls. So I want to dive in into this phrase, wonderful counselor. And I want to unpack for you what it means and how it might apply to you and how this light might shine in your darkness. That's what we want to do. So let's talk about wonderful counselor. 
and what it is uh, intended to convey. There is a debate, actually, uh, among biblical scholars as to whether or not this is one title or two titles. Yeah? So, for example, in the uh, King James Version, you'll have a comma between wonderful and counsellor. So it'll say, uh, uh, and his name shall be called wonderful, comma, counsellor, comma. And the reason for this is, is quite straightforward. The, the word wonderful is not, it's not clear that it really is an adjective. Uh, it could be translated wonder. So his name shall be called wonder, counsellor, mighty God. It could easily be translated that way. And so as the debate has sort of uh, developed, uh, most modern scholars have landed on the uh, position that it is in fact one title. And the reason for that is because you do have this, uh, this, this pattern throughout the four names. You've got, you know, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. It seems to match. But the reason I bring this up is because it is worth pausing and thinking about the two words separately, because they do have meaning separately. It's not simply trying to say that he is very good at counselling. Right? It is saying more than that. And it certainly isn't using the word in any trivial or flippant sense like we would. We might talk about things being wonderful in a very you know, run-of-the-mill uh, run sort of way. We say, well, the, the weather is wonderful today. Or we say, I had a wonderful sleep last night. This is, this is not the way the word wonderful, and especially the word wonder, which is the literal translation, uh, goes in the Bible. The word wonder and wonderful is really reserved to speak especially of God and of his works. They are wonders. They are wonderful works that God does. Let me just read uh, a, a passage from uh, Psalm uh, 78 and verse 12. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt and in the fields of Zoan. And then it starts to describe those wonders. It says, he divided the sea and let them pass through it. And he made the waters to stand up like a heap. This is a wonder. Right? A wonder is not, I had a wonderful meal or I had a wonderful swim. This is, the waters stood up in a heap. That's a wonder in the Bible. Verse 14, and the daytime he led them with a cloud and all the night with fiery light. And he split rocks in the wilderness and he gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams to come out of the rock and cause waters to flow down like rivers. These are wonders. Okay. In uh, Exodus, in chapter, tw uh, chapter 3 and verse 20, uh, God says, I will stretch out my hand to strike Egypt with all of the wonders that I will do in it. Okay, so all of the plagues, all of the deliverance, the angel, uh, the angel coming and uh, killing the firstborn and passing over the, the houses with the blood on the doorposts. These are wonders as the Bible defines them. The New Testament continues to talk about wonders in very much the same way. It talks about the miracles of Jesus and the miracles of the apostles as signs and wonders. So you can just... You can just see that we really don't use the word in a biblical sense these days. The word wonder has meaning that is wonderful. It is absolutely beyond. It is marvellous. 
It's worth just pausing on Judges chapter 13. We mentioned it last week, but it's worth just going there again. In Judges 13, uh, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, speaks to uh, Manoah about the birth of Samson, his son. Okay. Now, the angel of the Lord is different from an angel of the Lord. You need to know this. An angel of the Lord is like Gabriel or Michael or like just an angel. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is God himself. God himself in the form of a messenger of God, which is quite fantastic, isn't it? God himself in the form of the messenger of God, which I think is especially fantastic because it shows that the doctrine of the Trinity is in operation all through the Old Testament. It's not a novelty of the New Testament where you have one being uh, uh, subsisting in three natures. In the, New Test- in the Old Testament, you have the same. You have one being God subsisting in the one who sends a message and subsisting in the one who is the messenger of God. You see? It's important. And we get this clearly when Manoah speaks to this angel of the Lord and asks him a question. He says to him in verse 13, What is your name that when your words come true, we may honour you? Now, If this was an angel, that would be quite unacceptable, that this Manoah would honour him, right? The the angel in Revelation 22, when when John, you remember, fell down in worship of him, said, don't do that, I am a fellow servant. Don't honour me, don't worship me. But this angel doesn't say that. This angel has no objection whatsoever to the idea of him being honoured. In fact, it's perfectly right that Manoah would honour this angel of the Lord, for he is, in fact... God himself. And then more interestingly, when Manoah asks, what is your name? He doesn't say, well, I'm Gabriel, or I'm Michael, or I'm maybe another angel's name. What does he say? He says, let me just go there. He says, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? What does that mean? It means my name is too wonderful to speak. It means my name is too wonderful to say. Now whose name is too wonderful to say? Not Gabriel. Not Michael. The name that is too wonderful to say is God's name. You know, it's a similar question that Moses asked God at the burning bush, you remember. He said, who shall I say is sending me to Pharaoh? What's your name, in other words? And God says, well, I am. Tell him that I am is sending you. In other words, his name is really beyond utterance. His name is, he just is. He is. How do you describe him? How do you sum him up? It is wonderful. It is beyond. It is too much to say. There's too much to hold in your lips, in your mind. His name is wonderful. You know, Edward Young, he's a commentator on Uh, the book of Isaiah, a wonderful commentator, he writes this, he says, the Old Testament usage of this word compels us to the conclusion that it here designates the Messiah not merely as someone extraordinary, someone wonderful, but as one who is, in his very person and being, a wonder. He is that which surpasses human thought and power, He is God himself, 
to designate the child with this name is to make the clearest attestation of his deity. That's what Edward Young says about this passage. Have you met this wonder? Do you wonder at him? Is your heart filled with wonder when you consider the person and the glory of Jesus Christ? Now there's this wonderful passage in the, I just used the word wrongly, wonderful passage. Though in a sense it is wonderful. I'll backtrack. Uh, Philippians 4, it says, Finally, brothers, in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellency, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Church, I would encourage you to think about Jesus Christ. Because there is no higher thought. There is no higher wonder to consider, to pursue, and to be satisfied by. Do you know him? Do you wonder at him? Are you in wonder and in rapture? When you think about this glorious man, this glorious one, Jesus Christ. Let's go further and consider the second word used to describe Jesus. He is a wonder, and he is a wonderful counsellor. And we need to um, sort of back away a little bit from the comparison I made at the beginning uh, between modern counsellors and this wonderful counsellor. See, this wonderful counsellor, Jesus Christ, is, is not someone that you kind of sit on a couch with in an office and just sort of talk through your problems and try to work them out together. Uh, you're not going to be asked questions like, well, you know, would you just explain to me the type of relationship you had with your father? Or would you explain to me how you felt when such and such happened? These are the sort of things that uh, occupy a counsellor's office, but they're not the sort of things that we can necessarily expect when dealing with this wonderful counsellor. He counsels by way of command. He counsels by way of instruction. He counsels by way of rule. So it's not about working together so much to find out the core issue that you're dealing with and then coming up with some kind of solution together. That's what you might find in a counsellor's office these days and the, the reason for that actually is because when you go into a counsellor's office these days the truth is that nobody really knows what the solution is nobody you don't and the counsellor doesn't either in fact usually uh, if it's a non-christian counselling situation there won't even be a standard by which you can measure what is a good outcome and what is a bad outcome we are just doing our best to basically send everybody home feeling better than when they arrive that's essentially the, the goal but this is not the case with the wonderful counsellor. So I want you to imagine a counsellor who knew the solution before you even arrived. I want you to imagine a counsellor who knows you so intimately, so closely, better than you know yourself, knows all of your history, knows all about your relationship with your father, knows all about how you felt when you went into that situation knows all about all of your sin, knows all about 
all of your trials and your difficulties. Not only that, but he knows the entire world in which you have lived. Every single person that's ever interacted with you. And the words that they said and the feelings they had and the impact that it had on your soul. He knows all of this. And on top of all of that, he loves you more than anyone's ever loved you. He has such care and such empathy for your state. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows every single sin. He knows every single stain. And yet he loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. So this is our fear. We hide our sin because we're worried that we will be uh, unloved by those around us. We hide our sin because we're worried we may not even love ourselves if we fully realise how wicked and how sinful we are. And yet the one who truly knows the depth of your depravity loves you more than anybody has ever loved you. Isn't that amazing? He's a wonderful counsellor. He is the wonder counsellor. There are two qualities, I think, of a good counsellor. One, surely, is knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you come to the one in whom is hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Amen? What is needed is wisdom and knowledge. What is also needed to be a good counsellor is empathy. Amen? And when you come to Jesus Christ, you come to the one who will demonstrate and has demonstrated empathy beyond any measure or any standard or any example that has ever taken place before. He is the most loving, the most gracious, the most wonderful, wonderful counsellor. He is the one, Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's another wonderful qualification of this counsellor. Yet without sin. So imagine somebody who knew everything and loved you completely and yet was a sinner. This would be problematic. There would be selfishness. There would be uh, reluctance. There would be uh, selfish ambition. There would be hardness of heart. There would be hidden motives. None of that in Jesus Christ. Because he is sinless in his wonderful counselling of you. The one who has borne our grief and our shame does not now pile it back onto us, but who helps us to see that it has been taken. The wonderful counsellor does not just remind you of what you've done and where you've come from, but what's been done for you and what is being done in you. This is the wonderful counsellor. Jesus Christ. Let's just talk very briefly about how he counsels. Because it is one thing to know he's a wonderful counsellor. It is uh, another thing and a very important thing to know how he counsels. I want to just finish with that. Three things. He counsels us through his word. He counsels us through his people. And he counsels us through prayer. Let's start with his word and we'll go briefly. In many ways, this is the most obvious. He counsels us through his word, but I want to press upon you this, this truth. That when he counsels us through his word, it's not like he just gives you a book of instructions and then leaves the room. Here's the manual, you'll be fine. No. 
He abides in His Word. He is in His Word. And as we come to the Word, we come to Christ. And as the Word ministers to us and counsels us, Christ ministers to us and counsels us. He is the wonderful counsellor through His glorious, glorious Word. In that book, He does not simply give instruction. I think this is the problem that many Christians have when reading the Bible. They go to it to look for instruction. There are instructions in the Bible, but there is grace in the Bible. And if you go to it just to find instructions, you will die. If you go to it just to look for a way to cope with your problems, a a bit of wisdom to deal with a relational issue or whatever it might be, then you will die. If you go to the Bible to find Christ, to find his grace, to find his promises, to not just look for what is to be done, but what has been done and been given to you, if you go to it and see that, you have encountered the wonderful counsel. That is the way you are to go to the scriptures. That is the way you are to read the scriptures. It is him you will find in these pages. Secondly, the people of God. All through history, the people of God have counseled one another and have counseled one another with Scripture and given wise counsel that is sanctified in the Scriptures to one another. Pastors to members, members to one another, pastors to each other. It is of the utmost importance. The members of the body who are the body of Christ are extending the ministry of Christ to the other members within the body of Christ. This is how Christ counsels us. The means of grace are to be experienced in the gathered body as the word is preached, as the people praise. The grace of God is active in there and that grace is the grace of the wonderful counsellor. Let me ask you, if you were involved in meeting with a counsellor and you needed to, would you miss your weekly sessions on a regular basis? Church is your weekly counselling session and you need a counsellor. Amen? You need a counsellor. I need a counsellor. You need a counsellor. Don't miss your weekly counselling session from the word of God, from the people of God, from the grace of God that flows into your life through the means of grace that are poured out in this place. Thirdly, prayer. And I want to read uh, Ephesians 4 again, just this portion. Ephesians 4 and and, uh, verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, if you stop reading there, you'll die. Right? Do not be anxious about anything. That's just a command. Okay? If you stop there, you'll die. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What do you need in counselling? You need your anxieties dealt with, you need the peace of God given to you, and you need someone, other than yourself, to guard your hearts and your minds, and it's all done in Christ Jesus. You see, Christ Jesus, the wonderful counsellor, through our prayers, takes away the anxieties, through our prayers, gives the peace of God, through our prayers, gives God to our hearts and minds. You know, it sounds unbelievably simple. Read the Bible, go to church and pray. 
Read the Bible, go to church and pray. It's like, yeah, we've heard that. That is where you meet the wonderful counsellor. Why do you read the Bible? Not to be smarter than other people. Not because you need to tick the spiritual box. Not because you have been told to do that and you're going to feel guilty if you don't. There is a wonderful counsellor that you need. And he is found in the scriptures. You don't go to church because we'll tell you off if you don't. You don't go to, we will. You don't, do, you don't not go to church because you uh, have something you need to do on Sunday or some business to conduct or friends that you like to meet with or songs you like to sing. You go to church because you have an appointment with the wonderful counsellor. Do you see? Don't miss the appointment. And we pray to fellowship one-on-one in secret in the closet with the wonderful counsellor who presses upon our conscience, who presses upon our hearts his promises of mercy and grace, which you need to hear every day, which remove your anxiety, which give you the peace that surpasses understanding, and which guides your hearts and your minds. Go to the wonderful counsellor fully and frequently and find rest for your souls. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. You could leave us with all of our problems in all of our darkness, but you have shone light into our darkness. You've given us the wonderful counsellor. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for he is wonderful. We thank you for him. Lord, we are lazy and slow. We don't open our word. We don't open the word. We don't rush to church. We don't make it the top priority. We don't prioritize prayer. And we see how foolish we are in these things. We have a counselor. And we need one. Lord, we pray that you would do the work of moving us in our will and in our desire to come to him. We recognise that if it is simply a command, if it is simply a command, come to him, come to him, even that would be death. We need your grace to enable us even to do that first stage and to keep us with him and to keep us going to him. We pray you do that. We thank you that you have. And Lord, may we see the beauty, the necessity, the great grace that is given in these three places, the word, the people, and in prayer that in these places we will find not a duty to fulfill, but a counsellor who knows us fully in all of our sin, all of our history, and yet loves us so perfectly. We thank you that we find him there. May we always, in Jesus' name. Amen.